While there's never a lack of topics or exciting things happening in the world that we can discuss on Thursdays, I would say that today we probably have more hot things to discuss than we've ever had in before between bank failures, the movement of Bitcoin, and now, of course, Coinbase threatening to countersue the SEC. Wow. There's a lot to talk about, and I have three incredible guests, as always, to do it. I've got Noel Hyder and Owen here today. You guys do not want to miss this. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit the like button. As I said, no lack of topics to discuss. It's almost hard to determine what direction to take a conversation these days. We always sort of joke, there's the phases, they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they win. I would say it's very clear that as, as far as the United States government, at least, we are in the then they fight you phase. Uh, White House this week coming out with some aggressive language towards crypto assets, effectively saying that they have no fundamental value. Of course, increased rhetoric and enforcement and Wells notices from the SEC, particularly towards Coinbase yesterday. And then Brian Armstrong's very strong worded response saying that they would defend the industry with all they had. And in my opinion, Coinbase is exactly the person, the entity that we want doing that because they have both the war chest and seemingly the facts on their side. To discuss all of this, I have our three guests. I'm going to bring them on right now. Noel Atchison, Hyderafik, and Eowyn Chen from Trust Wallet. Good morning, everybody. Every, I think we all need a deep breath to get ready for, uh, for what's likely coming. <laughs> Noel, it's your first time here. Um, let's just talk about Coinbase first. What do you make of this sort of increased rhetoric from the SEC and now, in my opinion, poking the biggest beast that they possibly could? It's game on time, Scott. It really is game on. I know this is a big overhang for the industry and it's hard to put a positive spin on this, but I'm going to try and put a positive spin on this anyways. Uncertainty is never good, but we knew something like this was coming. I personally thought that Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, wouldn't dare to go this far simply because he doesn't want to lose a very public battle. We have the Ripple case nearing its conclusion, perhaps he might lose that. We have the Grayscale case, the SEC might lose that too would he really want another high profile loss because it's certainly not a given that the sec would win this one when it comes even just to the the time coinbase arguably has more time than the current administration the sec might indeed have and when it comes to funding coinbase probably has an easier time raising more capital especially if the market is improving than the sec would in getting more budget for this especially since the house would want to see I mean, enforcement is good, but they want to see successful enforcement. So poke the big bear, game on. This will go to court. A court will decide and it's not necessarily going to go in favor of the SEC, which would be a very big step forward for the industry. Not only is it not necessarily going to go in favor, there's been actually strong pushback from the judicial system in the few attempts of late for the SEC to push against this industry. I mean, in the Voyager case, the bankruptcy judge effectively outright dismissed everything the SEC had to say. And Grayscale had a very good opening sort of uh, so, sort of uh, salvo against the SEC as well, where the judges were dismissive. So it seems like 
it's important for people to remember, just because the SEC says it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, Eowyn, what do you make of what's happening right now? Yeah, I, I actually feel very excited. Last night, when I saw Coinbase are going to take the core fight. I think that's what the industry absolutely needed. Um, because we, it's very clear that the SEC is not necessarily having a very objective stance anymore with regards to the regulation. It has a very clear agenda towards the industry as a whole. And it's no longer just say that, hey, the bad actors are doing bad actor things. So we're the righteous justice. We're going after everyone. It's very clear that they're going after everybody. And I think it's a wake up for, call for the industry that, you know, as an industry, do we want to grow and sustain and survive in the U.S. and do that well and for the people um, by having that fair share of the impact of the technology that we wanted to have? And if that's the case, we are benefited from a rule of law country. We should take up what we are equipped and empowered to do it rather than just being scared by a big government um, as if we were in any other parts of the world that there's no way of the rule of the law that we could use as a, as a toolkit to seek for justice. So um, I was very, I, I feel very empowered and I I'm feel excited. with Coinbase, uh, I'm very excited about the, the stance that they are taking. And I think that the industry should honestly get together and we should not fight internally. I know that there has been lobbying is internally just against each other. It doesn't help, right? Right now is the time just to make a public presence, make a public better impression about what crypto actually is about instead of throwing each other under the bus. Like it's not the time anymore. We should do our fair of share of representing the industry uh, to win a long-term game. Adel, what do you think? Uh, you're obviously at an exchange, so, uh... I would imagine if you're sitting in your shoes, you would say, I've had it, Coinbase. <laughs> On behalf of everybody, enjoy. Do it for all of us. I, I think so. I think so. Well, look, I, I agree with Noel and Owen and with this, you know, sentiment they shared. I echo the same thing. I I would put more emphasis on the fact that this is a great opportunity for that division to go away, like Owen was saying. Uh, you know, after the FTX collapse, naturally you saw... Uh, differentiating points of views in the industry. And sometimes when I reflect on our, you know, vertical, our industry, crypto versus traditional banking, what's disappointing is you don't actually see executives of big banks, big financial institutions go at it against each other publicly on a forum like Twitter. So I think perhaps this is that milestone, that moment that really does bring all the companies, the firms, executives together behind a common purpose. And you certainly saw that yesterday after Brian tweeted and a lot of folks uh, from other uh, firms doubled down and backed him, including us. So I think it's a, it's a great moment for the industry to at least come down and have a come together and have a cohesive voice on this uh, on this matter. And if I can jump in with a quick thought on, on that, Scott, if that's okay. Um, what is the battle that's being fought here? This is the prelude to an enforcement action by the SEC, the U.S. financial regulator, against Coinbase, a U.S.-based exchange, although Coinbase has said that they are looking at setting up offshore uh, an offshore platform. They're boosting their operations in Brazil. They're boosting their operations in Europe. So when it comes to what is the battle that is being fought, is the SEC coming for us? I would argue, and I can say this based in Europe, that they're coming for the institutional, or the, not the institutional focus, I would say the US-based 
platforms uh, offering uh, offering services to US-based individuals and businesses. But this isn't going to deter crypto from continuing to evolve. Crypto is continuing to build in other jurisdictions. Talent and capital is migrating as it can very easily, unlike other industries, because crypto is so mobile. So in the end, the battle is smaller than, than the headlines would lead us to believe. Um, obviously, the US is the world's largest financial market. It is certainly significant. And if crypto is suppressed, in the world's largest financial capital, then that would be um, that would be a barrier to some development. But it's certainly very far from game over. Crypto is going to continue to involve in more supportive jurisdictions. Again, this is very much unlike other industries that are not as mobile and that are very much more jurisdiction dependent. Crypto actually isn't. Yeah, I actually wanted to quickly comment and follow up with what Noah was saying. I think that's absolutely right. Yet last night when things are happening, I have my Twitter very much divided in terms of content. Like the US-based content is just all about the potential legal regulatory situation with the crypto industry. And my other part of the following are talking completely different things. That they actually don't care that much about it. They are all talking about here's a new product that's launching, here's a here's a new thing that's going after, and then uh, here's a new exciting. Yeah, it's like much more optimistic outside of the US versus what we see inside of the US. I think then the question is, you know, what 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 do we want in the US as the future of this part of the technology? Um, it's clearly starting to divide and it's going to be a much more complex question to ponder upon instead of just seeing crypto as a potential rivalry to US dollar or to US banking system, because there's going to be much bigger geopolitical agenda. And if US wants to let this one go, pushing everyone offshore, talents moving elsewhere, having an assumption that this industry doesn't go bigger, there's someone else in the world, and very likely quite a lot of them are interested in to see that if this can be the future opportunity to leapfrog uh, what the traditional banking system that the US has been dominating for the past century. Could it be that this is a preamble to a bigger strategy by the US government? I think we have one reference point from another large nation that decided to ban crypto, have a blanket crypto ban right before or around them themselves launching their own digital asset currency. I know there's been rumors, there's been chatter about the US taking that strategy. Could this be a preamble to that strategy to limit the use of uh, crypto or access to crypto markets for US customers in light of that future event to happen? I don't know, but uh, that certainly does cross my mind. And just imagine if the US is taking the playbook from China. I mean, the political repercussions of even just that headline, just imagine. It's, um, it is certainly interesting, the timing, especially given the Fed now is coming online this summer as well, but coincides also with weakness in the banking industry, the banking sector in the United States. And many, we've seen, this is a part of a conversation I imagine we'll have, we're seeing many individuals as well as businesses get involved in crypto, specifically Bitcoin, because of the banking fragility that is becoming increasingly apparent in the United States. This implies looming political pressure. Let's imagine, again, we're coming up to the elections and the government is going, the administration is going to be accused of having denied individuals the opportunity 
to safeguard some of their investments by investing in an alternative asset. They're going to have some um, they're going to have some questions to answer for sure, and especially if the market does well between now and then, which it looks like it will. It's interesting. I, I can't find it. I was just trying to, but I saw in passing that there was a memo or something about a central bank digital currency from the United States that came out in the last two days, sort of with the same timing of this SEC enforcement. And I would say too much to be coincidence with the timing of the White House changing their rhetoric. Because the White House, I think, for the last year, year and a half has said, hey, let's look at this. It's reasonable. These assets are not going anywhere. Let's just come up with a framework. Everybody with a three-letter uh, agency, go do your job, figure out what part you're going to play in this. And now all of a sudden it was these assets have no fundamental value. It seems like a very, very meaningful shift, which leads me to Hyder's sort of tin, tin hat thinking that maybe this is more about centralization and a central bank digital currency, which I think we can talk about now whether that is the intention or not, it's still worthy, I think, to discuss what a central bank digital currency would mean. Any of you can jump in. Well, I'll happily jump in first, because this is something I've been thinking quite a lot about, not just obviously what the US is doing, but what's happening around the world. We're seeing a lot of pilots going on outside of the US, uh, experimenting between wholesale versus retail. We're also seeing some announcements come through in the US of the political tensions that would emerge should the United States decide to press ahead with a retail version. We have Governor DeSantis, as well as Senator Ted Cruz, decide that their state's not going to have any of this, thank you very much, which opens up a whole political can of worms. Can they even do that? Can the federal government impose the use of a certain currency, etc.? For me, all of that says that this is just too political uh, this is too much of a political hot potato for the United States to try to impose a, C a retail CBDC. They'll try to go the wholesale route first. And again, especially with the, especially given the desire probably to distance themselves from the, the China playbook for political reasons. But we're overlooking the fact that this administration doesn't have much longer to go. Maybe it will win the next elections, maybe not. Either way, big political change is afoot. And what we're looking at, both in the crypto um, Hostility, I would say, as well as the intentions of the CBDC, they're political. I think that's 100% true. Yeah, Heidi, I just wanted to say to Noel's point and then jump in. The last thing I had on my bingo card for 2023 was China reopening services to the crypto industry while the United States shut them down. <laughs> that was not that was not something that I was expecting by March of 2023. <laughs> Go ahead, Heidi. Yeah, well, I, I, including you, I'm also excited about China opening back up. I think the the COVID uh, sort of restrictions are gone, but I'm disappointed that the Grand Prix is off the table for this year, which is, you know, something we were, of course, looking <laughs> forward to. Um, I am less, you know, thinking about the politics around this this initiative, this possible initiative. My thinking more goes towards what utility does an American citizen get from uh, an asset like this? And what role does an asset like this play in the possible deprecation of the US dollar globally, especially as it relates to the petrodollar? Uh, now you're seeing different countries transact uh, to trade oil, not using the US dollar. What would this mean for, for our foreign policy, for our relations with Saudis and what have you? That's, that's something that I'm still puzzled about. And I'm keen to see if Noel, you or Owen have any any thoughts on it. So I my understanding of CBDC is very preliminary. I'm very much with you, Hater. Like I probably will look at more from 
the benefits uh, and the impact to the crypto industry. So in general, I think a more digital version of the assets can help with the easier uh, and lower friction onboarding for crypto. Right? Because it's, it will be much more easier to onboard uh, from a digital version uh, of, a, of a daughter to another digital version of another assets. Uh, however, if assuming that it's get 100% coverages of CBDC replacing all the US dollar, there is also a potential impact is that if the political environment and the regulation doesn't change, because as if right now banking, US startup banking is becoming a choke point for uh, US startup fiat assets to onboard. You could also mean that it makes it easier to hold those choke points for um, fiat onboard for the future. Um, so that that's just, you know, there are benefits for friction, but if those gateway don't open, it means nothing. It probably is going to be more fringent. So I, I don't know which side that you will play out. That's why probably the politics will continue to be very important. I've always believed that a central bank digital currency is bullish for certainly Bitcoin, but for the crypto space in general, because the lack of understanding complex UX, UI, and we've talked about this quite a bit in the past, but once governments force people to open a digital wallet and transact digitally. And then those people then will much have a much easier time making the jump, I think. People who have just been dismissive of it, it's too complicated, it's too hard. I think we're sort of on these uh, converging paths where our UX UI is getting better and people's understanding is getting better and they're going to bring people to the table. So it doesn't, I mean, I think it's problematic, obviously, from a regulatory and legislative standpoint, but people are gonna find a way. I don't know if yeah. you guys share that, but I, I don't really think CBDCs are a threat. I think they're actually a catalyst. There is the privacy issue, which a lot of people are very concerned about. Politicians are concerned about this also. And we're seeing some governments such as India and oh, gosh, I forget where else, the Europe, I think it was, uh, talking about making sure that were CBDCs to go retail, there would be some privacy protections in there, which is obviously very encouraging to hear. But does anyone trust this is the only backdoor. It's the privacy issue that is going to be a very big political hot potato there. But I totally agree with you, Scott. I think there are ways around that. Innovation finds a way and the crypto ecosystem is nothing if not very, very innovative. There are privacy features that could probably end up being enabled. Again, do we trust them? But yes, they are. And you're so right. When we all have to have a digital wallet on our phone, the innovation that can be layered on top of that is indeed very exciting. I personally don't believe we are going to see a retail CBDC anytime soon, if ever, in the United States, well, for the simple reason they don't need it. The Fed now is pretty much going to do anything that a CBDC would have done. And the political um, fragility of the system is actually going to be prominent in the debates. It's uh, something that is going to exacerbate the divide they're already seeing. I think wholesale CBDCs are going to tie into what Haider was saying, which is in the role of the dollar in world trade. That It's not in spite of the sudden boost in the swap lines that the Fed implemented last week in response to the banking stress that is now spreading to other countries for different reasons. Um, there are still countries, as Owen mentioned, that are totally choked off from the dollar system. Bolivia is, you know, running on fumes because it cannot get access to dollars. Uh, Lebanon, uh, many countries, Sri Lanka and Pakistan, they're tied. They cannot get access to the dollars they need to pay for basic commodities. And why is this? This is the weaponization of the dollar that is increasingly going to become a point of concern in the geopolitical landscape as it realigns itself around the new centers of power that are emerging. Wholesale CBDCs are actually end up going to end up being a lot more powerful as a tool 
in cementing or reshaping the U.S. role in that evolving landscape. You're talking about countries like Bolivia. I think for me, then, the, the mental jump is not only how good that is for Bitcoin or that people would adopt it, but really that stable coins are the killer app there because it gives people access to U.S. dollars and U.S. dollar liquidity, which is what you're probably seeking in a country with hyperinflation. There will be a small percentage of people who get it and say, I want Bitcoin long term. But if you're just trying to get in and out of your small daily transactions, a digital wallet with USDT or USDC seems to be the way. So, Awen, I want to ask you uh, anecdotally from the evidence, obviously, you're the CEO of Trust Wallet. Are you seeing an increase in in that sort of activity, small stablecoin transactions in countries like this, because obviously you, you run one of the most popular wallets on the planet. Yeah, so uh, we do have the biggest um, mobile wallet uh, out there. And in fact, what I find very, very interesting is that the majority of the active wallet that we have are extremely small amounts in terms of the volume. So I'm actually proud on that. It means that what we're serving are actually the fringe, like the, 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 the normal retail people now with a deep pocket in the U.S., uh, all about getting, getting the hype for investment purposes. So there is a lot about USDT from my CS tickets. <laughs> people are always asking about why is the CS tic, uh, the, the USDT get stuck in certain part of the blockchains. So that kind of shows me, that's a data point that shows me that um, stablecoin, USD stablecoin plays such an important role uh, for those normal day, small pocket users um, for very practical reasons. And most likely it's for their unbanked reasons or stability. Um, and when I'm thinking about the U.S. dollar weaponization, when Nola talks about, I think it, I think the U.S. again needs to think about it with a much more long-term and a broader view. Is that? Let me just throw an extreme idea there. Wouldn't it be great for everyone on Earth just hold U.S. dollar? Right. That essentially makes U.S. dollar the most powerful thing that a government TBO could ever possibly, or short-term debt could ever possibly have, because the world, everyone just de desire to hold that for U.S. government. Um, and balancing that with, okay, I'm going to now exercise the control because I'm now the issuer of this. I don't want anybody that potentially could be political reasons don't have the access to it. Like how, how, how will the most powerful government wants to balance between these two? Because your, your assets are desirable for day-to-day -day normal people. And those are the ones that are also going to influence some of the political decisions in their own local countries. So how to, how to play the balances between these two? Um, it could be leveraged through CBDC, but USD stablecoin, private USD stablecoin has already played a tremendous role to democratize the US dollars around the world. That actually, from my perspective, it helps out with the US inflation, right? Because if you contain a one country's dollar bill just within your own country, the inflation is going to off the roof as you print more money. But as more people around the world hold it, it's supposed to help with also the political agenda or economic agenda of containing the inflation. Um, so there's a lot of things to play out here. There's a lot of day-to-day -day people's needs as what we have seen from our, our perspective and tying back to our earlier questions is that what will be the best long-term game for the U.S.? Uh, government and society and economy to consider about the whole picture about private US, uh, USD stablecoin, public CBDC, and how the distribution will work out. 
Hi there. I would love to hear what you're seeing at the exchange because we've sort of seen net outflows from exchanges into custodial wallets, at least Oh, it's funny. We talked right last, right before the FTX collapse. So I didn't. Re- I don't really know. Uh, we. I knew what happened after Celsius and Voyager and all of those, but we've never really discussed that movement uh, after FTX. But are you seeing a? Are you seeing any outflows from the exchange to self custody, which I imagine you guys would encourage to a degree? But B, are you also seeing people use their exchange accounts for small transactions? Last time I sp- spoke with CZ. He said the majority of Binance users are not trading. They make no money on them. Those are just people in foreign countries using Binance as a wallet, right? So are you seeing those kind of things as well? Less so. I think for us, we are a brand OKX is known for its uh, trading engine. Um, And so the behavior on our side is primarily trading. In the last two weeks, I think we saw a, a huge uptick in uh, people settling into USDT, but more coincidentally, USDC ended up rising to the top. So really? that was an interesting behavior uh, we definitely noticed on the platform. Now, traders, oftentimes even retail investors on our platform, can be erratic based on the market conditions. So you saw you know, settlement uh, flow into USDC and stables, but then suddenly as the market started to rip on the Bitcoin side, you saw you know, trades begin to happen, you know, for the primary asset, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So that's been really interesting. Now, we do have a self-hosted wallet within OKX. So, you know, uh, with Binance, Binance as uh, Owen leads trust, these are two separate apps. With OKX, we have an exchange mode and then we have a Web3 self-hosted mode all in one. So we allow people to go back and forth and certainly encourage that behavior. Because the idea is that when you want to trade, when you want to interact with the real world, you go into a CFI environment, you go trade and interact and do whatever you want to do. And at the end of the day, you settle into a self-hosted wallet and ideally a self-hosted wallet and a stable asset. So you can avoid volatility on your positions. So that's sort of the, you know, the behavior at least we're encouraging since last December when things started to get shaky. And- Interestingly, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, just to your question, uh, after our conversation, FTX fell, um, it was a bear market. So usually in bear market, we will be seeing MAU decrease, no matter centralized exchange, decentralized wallet, because the space is just getting less active. Uh, It was on that slow trajectory of the decreasing from what I see, and then with FTX, absolutely spiked. Um, And uh, a lot of people come to us also for a primary reason is for the users. I think in the world, it's very hard to find trust. Um, people don't know like a lot of the research, what you do, like which wallet do you trust or not because the stake is going to be very high. So um, I think we are benefited from it and Ledger benefited a lot from it, from the cold storage and self-custody perspective. So we kind of see that um, kind of a traffic share uh, are shaping. Uh, I will have to say, though, is that for people who are mostly the holders, after a spike of the events, the active level go down, right? Because we are not expecting holders to to come, come back use it every day. Uh, so I think that's that's okay. That's rightfully so, because if people use it for self-custody, they're not going to do that very actively anyway. Um, but something interesting I have seen, this is all public data that people can see that just uh, on Sensor Tower, uh, data.ai all the time is that I still do find that those events happen. It does shake up people's concept about what do I trust? 
who do I trust? Ultimately, we want people to trust themselves, right? This, this, this space about trustless, ultimately decentralized technology is supposed to be trustless. Then the, the trust that people should place on is themselves, right? Do they feel enabled, empowered, having the right knowledge, toolkit to make the right decision that they can? No matter it's trading on centralized exchanges, on decentralized exchanges, holding NFT, using that for utilities purposes, it's people's own choice. Um, and so far, we have seen that concept getting shaken up. More and more people find value in it uh, due to the fall of the events and people getting more educated that otherwise previously they wouldn't wrap their mind around. Um, so we've seen that the active levels of decentralized apps remain stable or the decrease is way less in the bearish market compared to centralized platforms um, across the spectrum. What you've touched on there, Owen, is one of the big innovations of crypto markets more broadly and something that traditional investors, mainstream investors have a hard time getting their heads around. And that is the choice that we're offered. You mentioned trust. We're offered a choice of trust. We can trust CeFi, we can trust uh, DeFi, we can trust a selfless wallet, we can trust ourselves to know where our keys are, etc. We choose who we trust just as we choose how we acquire, what we do with it afterwards. We don't even, I mean, Bitcoin, for instance, has many different potential use cases. We choose what we do with it, whereas no one's ever been able to do that with traditional investments before. This is a rethinking of what markets even should be, which I find totally fascinating. And on another another thread you mentioned there, Owen, the, the reshuffling of wallets, and you mentioned this too, Hydra, the reshuffling off of exchanges, and it's wreaking havoc with on-chain data analysis. I can say this as someone that used to pay a lot of attention to Bitcoin data on-chain to see what activity was doing. Now we can't really determine anything from the uptick in the number of address holders because they could have come from CFI in that big exodus. We can't really justify uh, extrapolating information about whales because they're probably spreading their holdings now for insurance reasons. This has definitely put a dent in the analyst's toolbox for sure. Yeah, I mean, whales are spreading their money around on uh, in banks as well, right? This is not now a crypto exactly. problem at all. But then you <laughs> see people crazy. say, oh, the whales are selling. No, they're not selling. They're redistributing. Yeah, so that's exactly. Like it's, almost, uh, it's almost, you know, everyone from retail to traders, we're all scrambling to find where, what can we trust? You know, you, you had the, you know, downfall of Three Arrows, Luna. Like, you know, last year, it's just been like, this series of events where people are like, okay, where do I, do I park here? Do I park over here? Oh, I can maybe park in the banks. Oh shit, I can't, you know? So it's, it's been sort of this scramble. And I think the world is learning a lot about what you can trust and what you cannot. And hopefully we're all getting seasoned and programmed to think in a better way and to de-risk ourselves because the reality is at least in the current market, you just cannot trust one entity, one thing, one asset type. And we really have learned to question what safe means. I mean, safe exchanges, safe banks, and you know, even the safest asset in the world, the US government bonds. I mean, you've seen the volatility in those assets recently off the charts and even more than during the financial crisis. So um, what does safe even mean? Safe is an asset that you can safeguard yourself that is not subject to the monetary politics of any third entity. And volatile as it may be, that doesn't make it unsafe. Yeah. And I think especially at the current macroeconomic time, I think risk management becomes even the more important concept than anything else. Uh, honestly, if someone, well, I'm not a good investor, but any investor, if they do really well, they will tell you risk management is more important than just looking at the upsides. 
So funny enough is that we're talking about this as if the world just wake up for the whole concept. I think that's mostly for the developed world. The developing world, the users that I have talked to in India, in Pakistan, in different parts, in Latin America, they've had to wrestle with the concept for a long time, right? Like they are living in a completely different um, world where the banks are probably not that trustworthy. The stability of their own local currency are not very trustworthy. So they have, they have always been looking for what will be the alternative or diversifying solutions to help with them to get a sense of security for their hard earned money. Um, and then that that's why also probably crypto and also self-custody grow way stronger in those part of the world from what I've seen than the development. I, I echo that a hundred percent. I think oftentimes people ask, oh, and uh, you know, where are you seeing the, the rise of adoption or what is sort of that inflection point for any culture or economy or, or market to, to start to accelerate their adoption of crypto. And I think uh, it's primarily hyperinflation, uh, but also where people don't have a choice on where they're going to park their money. And, you know, you brought up Pakistan. I actually coincidentally grew up in Pakistan and came to the U.S., you know, pretty late as an international student. And I still recall the challenge my parents had to go through uh, trying to figure out where they custody their value. And uh, the recollection I have is that most of the value my parents would convert into gold and keep gold. And then as times, uh, you know, sort of evolved, the race was who can get the value out of Pakistan as quickly as possible, because it's almost impossible to get your value out of Pakistan. So oftentimes where we see an accelerated adoption of crypto or self-custody is in those markets. And I think that's about to happen in the United States with what's happening with banks. I think it's going to accelerate the desire for people to learn and invest and figure out what this can provide to them as a as a safeguard. And even going beyond the storage of or the, the store of value um, thesis that you're pulling on there, Hyder, there's the economic activity, the right to make a living, the right to innovate and to build businesses, which in the United States is you know, part of its DNA. And what the SEC is effectively trying to do is dampen the innovation that the United States has always prided itself on. But even going beyond the developed world borders that you mentioned, were, Nigeria, you probably remember, I think it was a couple of years ago, the central bank it put out a communique implying that it was banning cryptocurrencies. It actually wasn't, but it, it sounded like it was from the wording. There were riots on the streets in Lagos because of the number of young people, especially, who were making money day trading. Whether you can argue that's a, that's a profitable or worthwhile activity or not, that's irrelevant. The fact that it was not illegal and they were making a living doing that when they couldn't really easily make a living doing pretty much anything else. And here comes some very old people in the central bank, I'm quoting here, old people in the central bank telling me I can't do that anymore. Anymore. It became a, a touch point, uh, the, you know, the paper that lights up super fast became a touch point for many people. There were actually riots in the streets and the central bank was asked to walk back their statement by the SEC of the country, funnily enough. So this is just a, a glimpse, I think, of the political pressure that we're going to be getting, as you said, Hyder, not just in the United States, uh, not just uh, pretty much everywhere. So, so it's interesting that you brought up that Nigeria riot situation. What went into my mind is a Uber example. Um, I think all of us have heard of the news when the Uber, the, uh, the, the hailing uh, services around the world were expanding. Of course, you also face a political pressure 
it's not like a central level, but it's at a municipal level, local level. Sometimes it could be even more violent, uh, depends on which part of the world. Um, and I think the power that maybe as an industry that we should think deeper is that like, if we provide a strong enough of a value, people will love to fight for it. Just like they would love to fight for it to keeping Uber because it changes their life and the way how they travel. And fighting for fighting for liberty. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Fighting for liberty is something that has driven the Western civilization forward over centuries. This isn't something that we're going to give up lightly. And fighting for liberty, especially when it comes to our choice in the type of assets that we hold and the type of legal business activities we engage in, is something that is certainly not going away. It's it's part of the the human spirit. It's interesting what you've described in emerging nations now sounds like it could become a playbook or a glimpse into the future of what's actually coming for the developed world, which is not something I would have necessarily expected. Bitcoiners may have been saying that since 2010, but it's kind of strange to see it playing out to some degree at this point. But could we see now that trust moving? I mean, Heider, you talked about it, right? You The money first went to gold, then it left Pakistan. Well, that's a funnel, right? Eventually, there's nowhere left to put your money. It was going to be, what, the U.S. banks? Now people are losing trust in that. Swiss banks, Credit Suisse, I mean, where's left now to put your money as everybody flees to a new place for safety or a new store of value or any of that if you can't even put your money in a U.S. bank? And then I guess the next question there is, is that why we're seeing Bitcoin rise now? Or is this just traders trading? <laughs> Any of you can jump in, but it's really interesting to me that there's very much nowhere left to go. It's, uh, in my opinion, both. I mean, this is something that I focus on pretty much every day. What's the story behind the recent moves in the macro and the crypto markets? And uh, what I've been seeing recently when it comes to Bitcoin, it's been macro driven very much, um, but also crypto driven because why Bitcoin and not others? Well, Bitcoin is the one that is the, the hard cap store of value, but macro driven because Bitcoin also is the most sensitive asset to shifts in liquidity sentiments, the most, because it is a risk asset, because it doesn't have to be in portfolios, because it is 24 7, 365, but also especially because it doesn't have cash flows that can be debased by higher interest rates. It doesn't have uh, fixed value. It is the most sensitive sensitive uh, assets to shifts in liquidity sentiment, which arguably are tightening right now. And why is Bitcoin not falling when uh, by all macro reasoning it should be? Because of the other thesis, there is also the accumulation as a longer term store of value that we've seen continue throughout last year and start to pick up now because things are getting crispy, shall we say, in the financial landscape. So um, I think it's interesting that when the USD, um, when the US banks fell, that was the first time that I have seen the Bitcoin pricing depact from the stock market. Um, I think that's a historical moment that Bitcoin's original value proposition or the vision of the value proposition starts to show. Um, ironically, or probably not surprisingly, in a similar context that it's born. Right. It was born out of the context of 2008 in response to potential distrust of the centralized system, especially the banking system uh, and the printing of the money. And history repeats after 14, 15 years, then Bitcoin's original thesis go back to its roots rather than seeing Bitcoin as a 
kind of speculation, crypto assets, Bitcoin is Bitcoin itself for why it existed. And I think this is a very powerful kind of a <laughs> reaching to your self-actualization for Bitcoin moment. And yeah. it means that the, the world, at least the markets, um, are starting to realize that and see this asset, not just like this is an ultra risky crypto asset, even riskier than stock, um, but it is different now. Uh, and funny enough, anecdotally, my parents are asking me that, oh, is the banks okay? Like, should I buy some Bitcoin? Like my, my parents are 60 year old, right? When they start to ask that question, it means that there is something that does take the world the baby boomer generation starts to understand the value proposition of the original crypto Bitcoin uh, in the new light. And that is no longer potentially significantly influenced by the macro. In, in fact, it might be the opposite to hedge against the macro uh, and starts to play the role of gold, right? We've been calling it digital gold for ages. Then it starts to make the world does see it look like a gold. And I think that is a watershed moment. It's so important to point out, I mean, the Genesis block, Satoshi Nakamoto inscribed Chancellor on the brink of a second bailout, right? And this is the second bailout. It was born of the first, and this is the second. So if ever there was a time to really believe the narrative, this would be it. I had Dave Weisberger on the show on Monday, and he said, if Bitcoin didn't exist, gold would be $2,500 today. And I thought that that was a really interesting point, a bit hyperbolic, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, but an interesting point that maybe we really are seeing people fly here. I just want to add one more point. I spoke with Sailor on Tuesday, and I asked him this exact question, why is it going up? And I was surprised, being such a maxi that he is, that he said, I think it's just first crypto people moving out of altcoins and stablecoins into Bitcoin, and it's not yet the mainstream viewing it as a, a digital store of value. Heider, uh, you're not nodding your head, so you probably agree. I look, I can't conclude sitting here today whether it's the behavior from new retail coming in or it's existing traders trading the current markets and the volatility. It's perhaps a mix of both, but I cannot conclude today because I don't think we've seen those trades close to determine if they're longtime hodlers or if they were opening short term positions on the platform. Because short term positions can be a day trade. But it can also be a position that remains open within 30 days. So I'm not sure yet. But what's interesting is, uh, I'm sure we all know Michael Burry. Why did he tweet out something, uh, you know, I think almost four weeks ago? I think it, the tweet was just one word, like sell or something. Sell, sell, off or something. I sell. sell. Yes, yes, something like that. Yeah. Sell and everything. Sell, sell everything or whatever it is. And, you know, of course, I'm a parent and we, we diversify our risk. And yes, I am invested in the traditional markets as well. And, you know, we, my wife and I, we, we, we think about both worlds uh, quite pragmatically. And I think what was interesting, Owen, in our case, at least our portfolio uh, looked like it was very closely pegged to the Bitcoin markets. And of course, that is so dependent on what you have in your basket. We have mostly tech stocks. And when uh, the news around banks uh, came in, the markets were sort of flat. But then come Monday, when the bailout was confirmed, the equities market in the United States started to rip up along with Bitcoin. So it was really interesting. I would open my you know, Fidelity portfolio. That's looking great. My OKX portfolio is looking great. I was like, that's very interesting. But to me personally, I, I am cautious right now. I, I 
feel like until we are able to conclude where this behavior is coming from, it feels very short term. Yeah, you're right. I totally, yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you. It is. Um, it's also run up very fast, and whenever anything runs up fast, there's generally a correction. Uncertainty is off the charts now in pretty much all asset classes, which is no doubt going to influence. And the most of the volume has been from the from traders, from institutionals coming in as well. We can see this just in the sharp increase in spot volumes. Okay, spot volumes can be replaced, but these are from trusted exchanges. Spot volumes has shot up since the beginning of the year, even during March, it has shot up even more and is now more around roughly where it was in May last year, which was an extraordinary month, as you may remember. So this is institutional interest. There's no way the retail force is gathering enough steam for that yet. They tend to come in later on in the cycle anyway on that. This is more of the professionals and the institutionals coming in. And the reasons are mixed. Part of it is what we've been talking about, the macro story, and then, of course, the store of the alternative insurance asset, I like to call it an insurance asset story. But then you simply have the momentum traders, those who don't really care about the Bitcoin story, but where's the money going to go? I might as well get in ahead of the rush. So there's a lot going on there. I don't buy the thesis yet that this is rotation from altcoins into Bitcoin because while Bitcoin has outperformed, the others haven't done terribly and the volumes, the market caps haven't declined very much, which you would expect we would see if there was a notable rotation. Uh, still surprised that ETH has underperformed so much, especially given the upcoming upgrade and the, the different type of narrative that it has, the, the technological progress more like, but that's again, perhaps a regulatory question. It has some regulatory uncertainty over it that Bitcoin doesn't. But this is a new wave of sentiment that I've been seeing since January, macro driven at first, now with the insurance asset thesis. And this is, you're probably right, you're going to take a breather, but we also have the halving coming up next year. And so just simply historical timing wise, roundabout now is when it starts to get ready for that. One can argue that the next halving is going to be totally different, different market, different kind of adjustment. But still, hasn't I happened yet. You can literally ignore everything that's happened in macro, in the news, everywhere. Open a chart of the halving cycles, and it's exactly the same as the last two. You could have gone to sleep and hibernated and not even paid attention to bank collapses or hyperinflation or any of it, and you still have that. Noel, to your point, I'm not that surprised that ETH hasn't moved, only from, again, looking at last cycles and the way that assets do churn within, if it is traders, you just get that Bitcoin FOMO, and then when it calms down as higher retraces, then I bet we'll see a rotation into Ethereum. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, remember, we've just seen it so many times in the past. And the U.S. customer, unless you're on Coinbase, I believe most other U.S.-based platforms, are, are their uh, fiat rails are shut down. So you have, unless you're a Coinbase customer, you're kind of out of luck. You can't really use, unless you, you know, perhaps use a credit card, and the credit card fees are really high, and... Anyone sensible would probably not not do that with a large order. Yeah, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, then China coming back in, according to data from the Blocks dashboard, which I look at every morning, 85% of spot volume happens in Asia. And so the Hong Kong getting a semi-supportive crypto framework in place with China's implicit support as well, that's not insignificant. And that could well be one of the key drivers we see over coming months, especially as the Chinese are, no, the China is no doubt watching the U.S. hostility and thinking, hmm, what they don't like, I should probably take a closer look at. I, I can say anecdotally, and I've shared this here before, um, 
last weekend I, I was going on vacation and I saw Silvergate happening and then I saw Silicon Valley and I knew, I assumed that Circle had some exposure. And even I flew to safety and sold a bunch of my USDC into Bitcoin that morning right before the DPEG happened. I mean, a bit of that's a trade. I was like, Bitcoin's 19 grand. I think things look pretty good here. But most of it was literally me viewing Bitcoin as the safe asset, which goes back to, Noel, what you said before. Yes, it's about trust, but safety may be our new narrative because it doesn't, you don't even care if it goes up and down. You just want to know it's not going to disappear. Like there was a moment there where the world thought, oh, what if USDC just disappears and it goes to zero? Like it, it wasn't going to, it's not UST, but there's people who, you know, think that. But, you know, what if my bank account is shut down and I don't get that money back for, and I get 70% of it back in two years, and right? So, so I mean, I did it. So extraordinary what you just said, Scott. I mean, just think, who would have thought, again, would this be on your bingo card? You'd be selling a stable coin into Bitcoin for safety? It was my what, first instinct. Yeah, that, that's actually what the majority of the developing countries do, is that they sell their fiat currency into a lot of more stable assets, Bitcoin, <laughs> to them. So it's, it's just that right now, I think in the West, we start to understand again like this is this is a new paradigm and then people start to understand differently about the world that we're living right now yeah and question what safe means mm -hmm. yeah I, but if you're living in a country with hyperinflation you can clearly see that you know your buying power is versus bitcoin especially is down 99.9 percent .9%, you know like what, whatever it is sailor loves to tweet those things you know if you live in argentina you're buying you know the peso versus bitcoin the chart is absolutely astounding right and so we all obviously think about it in dollars but what happens when the dollar starts to lose value if I mean, Noel, you're this is you're, you're the you're the this queen of this. I mean, are we really at a risk off. right now? Are we are, <laughs> are we at a risk right now of actually seeing dollar hyperinflation? No, I don't think we are. Dollar apology and get him on here. And <laughs> oh, I, I would take Balaji's bet for sure, but not going to do that. Um, no, we're not. But when you say dollar lose value, it's always lose, lose value against what? If it's losing value, it's losing value against a basket of other currencies, and so the risk risk is just shifting. Risk never goes away. It just moves and uh, when it comes down that benefits other countries gives them more breathing room when it comes to the dollar-based debt that creates other strains in the system etc etc bitcoin funnily enough has been very inversely correlated to dollar moves for the past two years i've been watching this quite closely and that's starting to break down now also the correlations that Owen mentioned earlier about the bitcoin versus the stock indices been very highly correlated the past couple years not so much anymore gold a correlation with gold is increasing which comes back to the safe haven narrative that we've been talking about of course, the markets are crazy, and this could be entirely coincidental. I mean, the correlation to stock market now, I think, on a rolling 40-day basis is sub-0.2. I mean, utterly uncorrelated. And it was up to 0.8, I think, at the peak sort of what? last year when they were really highly correlated. But to your point, it feels like it just happened, but I think it really started happening last summer. If you look the deep hanging correlation... The only problem was Bitcoin all summer was going sideways and extremely boring while the stock market was volatile. So it didn't feel like it was deep peg. And then we certainly saw with the FTX black swan uh, that there was no correlation, but not to our benefit. Right. But is this I mean, is this it? Are we decorrelated? Bitcoin can live in its own free market and it exist or are we just, you know, something's going to happen. And in six months, we're going to be talking about a point eight correlation again. 
comes down to rates expectations. Bitcoin became highly correlated when rates expectations started changing. It's going to come down to that because, again, the crypto market is big and we are used to focusing on crypto volumes, crypto flows, but the bigger than the actual traditional financial market is massive and if even a percentage of that decides to come into crypto that's going to blow volumes off of the charts and that will come down to rates expectations if easing is on the board then we're back into a risk on and as i said before bitcoin is the most sensitive assets that a greater percentage of institutions is more familiar with now and many of them are not going to want to be caught out a second missing it a second time so i think the next run-up is going to be more volatile more um, violent even i can say than the previous ones simply because there's been a lot of holding going on there's you know 50 percent of bitcoin hasn't moved in over a year they're presumably not going to be selling until prices are much higher and the volume of money that could be coming in trying to get a piece of this insurance asset that is also risk on is probably going to dwarf the capacity at the moment. So this is, again, not going to happen right away because there's so much uncertainty. But once we do get signs that there are rate cuts coming, then I think the narrative is going to shift very quickly back to Bitcoin is a macro asset and correlations will spike again. Correlations will spike, but it'll be high beta and go up you know, seven times as much as the stocks. You don't have to look very far back, right? I mean, March 2020, everything bottomed. Everybody is so excited that the stock market doubled from there while Bitcoin casually went up 17 times from under 4,000 to 69,000. Exactly, exactly. And the, the, car, the Bitcoin is a macro asset correlated with stocks was generally uttered by people who were saying that what the stock market does, Bitcoin will do. And therefore, you know, it's, it's not even its own particular asset class. But I disagree with that. I think the, the, the correlations were not causational. They were coincidental. And it was Bitcoin doing things that happened to coincide with what the star market was doing because of a similar narrative thread. But this time, yes, we'll see a similar narrative thread again, but so much else going on as well. It's, uh, correlations are definitely not the full picture. Uh, we've got about three minutes left. So, Heider, Eowyn, please give your uh, sort of take on this, and then we'll have to unfortunately go. Well, look, I agree with Noel, and all I'll say is this time when easing, if easing was to occur, I'm going to be a little more bullish with my own strategy, which I miss certainly. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching very carefully. Yeah, I think for for me, it seems that I'm, we're working on a software part of the world. I'm not going to give the investment advice because sure, I of course, suck at it. Um, I'll just say that again, always remind people to be aware of the risks that Noel has been emphasizing all along is no matter you're looking at the upside, always consider what's the downside. And then ultimately, you know, I just want my team to do a good job to give people a peace of mind that a technology for them to make the choice that they can. I mean, how funny will it be, honestly, if in, you know, a year and a half, we're looking back and this was the bottom and it was just another Bitcoin 75% retrace and the halving cycle and prices are over $100,000 and everyone goes back and says, it was so obvious. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it really it really could be as simple as that, which just blows my mind when you sort of look at that. I, I wanna thank all three of you for your uh, incredible perspective and, and for sharing your time. I can see in the comments that everybody uh, truly, truly enjoyed it. So I'd love to have all three of you back Noel, your first time, so we have to make that two, three, four, five, five times, of course. It's really a we pleasure to, to thank get you. you. <laughs> thank you, um, all of you. Everybody, of course, I'll be back tomorrow on Fridays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We 
the week in review of news, I, I'm going to have to start studying now. I don't even know how I'm going to be be able to start that with everything that's happened this week. But I will uh, try to be up to the challenge, everybody. Thank you so much, uh, Noel, Owen, and Hyder. It's been really awesome. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye. Great meeting you guys.